You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Go ahead and grab your Bible and join me in 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking in verses 10 through 15 this morning. How many of you guys have seen a uh, any recent movies that were a remake that you liked? Which one? Dune. Huh? Oh, Dune. You liked it? I liked it. All right. How many of you have seen the original Dune? Anybody? It's no. Oh, I oh man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Beauty and the Beast is okay. Beauty and the Beast. You're right. That was. It was okay. It was all right. Yeah, the musicals. I mean, like the music scores and those were pretty, pretty epic. Yeah. The Parent Trap remake, which is already like 30 years old. Yeah, I know. Yeah, we're we're due for like a third remake of that one, right? Yeah. A friend of mine from seminary uh, said that the new Ghostbusters was actually worth watching, which I thought was pretty. I mean, and it's I guess it's technically not a remake. It's technically like. Uh, yeah, it's supposed to be like in line with it, right? Um, but I don't know about you, I, if uh, especially you know those of us that are, we'll just say that are over thirty. Do anybody feel like they're just they're just trying to make money off us now, right? Like they're just trying to get you to relive your kid, you know, teen and and child years, and uh, you know, uh, and it almost seems like they just can't come up with anything new, right? But the reality of it is, uh, they they keep doing these because. Uh, they're trying to recapture the the initial nostalgia, the initial awe that you had when you you know watched it the first time. Uh, trying to regain what uh, what you had in the past and bring it back fresh to you today. Um, it's why kind of these re- movie remakes are all the rage right now. Um, and the reality for us is, is that we, we do try to do that, right? We have ceremony uh, within our lives that try to bring back things and recapture things for us again and again, over and over and over again. Um, how many of you guys, anybody have any special, uh, call it ceremony or um, uh, certain things that you do related to Thanksgiving? Anybody have anything that is like normal? What is it? Snow machining, that's right, pulling, pulling kids behind the house on the snow machine. That's something we do every Thanksgiving, as long as we have a snow machine that works. Uh, that, that is something that we, that's something that we do. There you go, ultimate frisbee, yeah, that's, that sounds miserable. I don't know why that is a part of your guys' household tradition. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Of course, we were asking the kids, like, you know, Thanksgiving meal is coming, what, what side dish needs to be there or it's not Thanksgiving, right? There's all of those kind of ceremonies. Of course, Christmas is the one that always has that, right? There's all kind of rhythm and it brings you back and it's you do it again and you look forward to the thing because it reminds you of all of that time, right? And it just it connects you uh, with how things are going forward and it brings those things back up. It refreshes us with joy. 
We, in what is known as the free church uh, movement, uh, churches that are independent, individual, we select what we do, what we preach on, what our service is going to look like, how those things go. Um, historically, we have always had kind of a eh to tradition, uh, to those kind of rote things of pray these certain prayers, do these certain things, because we go, no, we don't want it to become meaningless, and you just kind of go through the motions. But the reality of it is, we have a liturgy. I don't know if you know this. Uh, we tend to open with announcements and prayer. Then there are four songs, an announcement, a sermon, and then we eat. Right? Like that's that's our that is our that's our functional liturgy, and that's kind of the way that it normally goes. Uh, and the reality of those kind of rhythms, those ceremonies that a lot of churches do put in place, they do have this intention to put something in front of you with regularity, with rhythm, to draw you back in to remind you of the truths of who God is and what you are about in your Christian faith. Uh, And we ask the question, why do we do that? Well, Christianity in a lot of ways is not like a line. We often describe Christian growth as just moving from one place of maturity to the next as we walk with Jesus. But the reality of it is, it's more like a tire that's rolling down a line. It is cyclical in nature. We need to be reminded of certain things. It's not just that sometimes we're told something and then that's the last time we ever hear it in Christianity. We have to be reminded about it because it grows us over time. And this is what we're going to be looking at today. As we take a look at what Peter has to say, remember we're saying that Second Peter is uh, Peter's kind of dying words to the church. He knows that his time is very, very short and he wants to impart to them some truth that's going to be an encouragement to them, but not just an encouragement for them as they're first reading it, but an encouragement for them as they go forward uh, in their Christian life. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 begins with this. He says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it is right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that putting off my old, or my, uh, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is the word of the Lord. Does it strike anybody odd in verse 10 that Jesus tells us, be diligent to confirm your calling and election? I did actually just not too long ago, uh, after our last uh, national election uh, here, you know, states have been trying to put forward, you know, motions to change the way that voting happens and how things are affirmed. And I did hear a state senator, uh, not in Alaska, thank goodness, get up and quote Second Peter chapter one, verse ten, 
as a proof text of why we ought to have stronger voting laws in the United States. I just want you to know that's not what this verse is anything to do with. Anything at all. When you read the term election in Scripture, there is no ballots that are involved in this. There is no individual that is being, being selected from a multitude of individuals uh, by way of uh, a democratic process of we get enough votes into this thing. That's not what this is a talking about. Just, just so that you know, I just wanted to make sure, because uh, we are, you know, uh, you hear me say all the time, words have, me- have meaning and words have significance. And if we have wrong definitions for those words, then we can't actually communicate with each other. When the Bible talks about election, it is uh, the word that is describing God choosing to save you. Scripture makes it absolutely clear that from before the dawn of time, God knew you, chose you, and in Christ redeemed you from before the earth's foundation. And it doesn't matter what vein of uh, Orthodox Christianity you come from, if you're a uh, five-point Calvinist or a five-point Arminian, or you're one of those guys that has no clue what either of those are, we acknowledge the fact that Scripture teaches this truth, that an all-knowing God knows all that would be saved, and in that knowing, it says, He predestined them to be elected or called into Him. But does it seem strange to you, knowing that reality, that the God of the universe, who knows all things, and before the dawn of time said, you are saved in Jesus Christ, does it seem strange to anybody that Peter would say, brethren, be all the more diligent to confirm your Calling and election. Does that seem strange to anybody else? Like that should be one of those things as you're reading over Scripture and you read that and you go like, wait a second, it's God doing the calling and God doing the electing. What in the world is it for me to be diligent to confirm this? And he says, for if you practice these qualities, these are the qualities that we read last week, what we called the chain of virtues that Peter lays out, this uh, picture of what it means for us to be ever growing and maturing as we walk with Christ. He says, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. What does it mean for us to make sure every day that Jesus has saved you? What does it mean for you to make sure every day that Jesus has saved you? Now that doesn't probably sound like anything you may have normally hear about uh, how salvation works, right? But when we talk about the nature of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be somebody who is following after Jesus, somebody that has been transformed by the Holy Spirit, somebody that has been bought and redeemed by the blood of Christ, when we look at Scripture, remember we said that the Bible is full of tension. We described tension as the picture that it seems like there are opposite directions, right? This is him saying, God elected, chose you, and likewise you are to confirm that. What does that tension mean for us? Uh, And as we think about what it means to be a Christian, the, uh, the basic premise of Christianity is faith 
in Jesus or faith alone in Jesus, right? And the picture of faith, faith is not an inactive thing. Faith is something that is authored by Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. The, uh, uh, let us look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So uh, Jesus does a, a miracle in us that births faith in us. But faith is action. It is belief and repentance. Always. And so when we ask the question, how do you know that you're saved? Anybody ever asked that question before in their life? Like maybe this morning, just woke up and be like, am I really saved? Like, do I really believe this? Do I, I mean, I'm going to church. I'm going to do that. I'm going to put on the church face. I'm going to eat the church potluck. I'm going to pray the, pray the prayers. I'm going to sing the song. But do I really believe this? And then the next question is, well, if, I, if I'm even questioning whether I believe this, am I, really, am I really saved? And I think the answer that he says is this. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Years back, 2013, when the flood hit Galena, uh, it was absolute chaos. Uh, the every, I mean, at the height of the flood, you could boat every single road in Galena. Uh, many of the roads were blocked by ice, so individuals were taking their boats and going down snow machine paths through the trees to be able to get out uh, and try to get to higher ground. And in the midst of all of that, uh, we had to evacuate from Newtown to Old Town, uh, and because we had been told pilots were coming to get us. And it was after that whole catastrophe, after I was finished dealing with a little bit of PTSD from it and those kind of things, uh, that I felt like God gave me a pretty good picture of what does this confirm your calling and election look like. See, remember when that flood is when the floodwaters were rising, and they did rise rather rapidly around our house. It came up about six feet in thirty minutes. It was pretty rapid when it happened. Um, and in the midst of that, we're running around and checking on other neighbors' houses. And, and it could have been that I ran over to my neighbor's house and they might have been sleeping. And I pounded on their door and when they answered the door, I could have said, Look, look, the water's coming up. I've been told there's pilots coming. We need to get to the airport. And their response could have been, because it was the end of May, What are you talking about? It's the end of May. I've got plant starts that need to be tended to. The garden is going to be, you know, is, I mean, we're going to be ready to be planting in the garden here June 1st, right? Like, there's, there's projects that need to be planned for and there's things. I don't know what you're talking about, right? A, totally ignoring the reality of what was going on around them. That could have been one response. Another response could have been, oh my goodness, you're right. Look at all this water. This is a very dangerous situation. But man, it just seems crazy to me for me to put my trust in the, somebody else coming at the airport. I'm a pretty savvy guy. In fact, I'm a, I'm a natural born Alaskan. I can fix anything with duct tape, right? So by golly, I'm going to build my own plane. You guys ever seen the, the pictures of the plane that got tore up by the bear because the pilot left his lunch inside the plane and they just literally duct taped the whole outside of the plane and flew it out. I, man, I can do that, right? I've never built a plane before, but surely I can build a plane. And so, of course, they're going to start working, working, working to build their own plane to rescue themselves. That's another reality of it. 
the third possibility is that you could risk your life, work extremely hard, get in the boat, navigate through these uh, 33-degree temperature waters with icebergs the size of houses floating down the street, and risk your life to get over to the airport because the pilot is coming. Right? It's kind of the, the options that you can have in this type of a scenario. And here's what I felt like God was telling me through this. If you get to the airport and the pilot doesn't come, it doesn't matter how hard you worked to get there, how diligent you were. If the pilot doesn't come, you might as well have been tending to your plant starts. Right? You might have just been ignoring the fact that the world was happening around you. Ultimately, what this means for us, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, is to every day ask the question, am I trying to save myself? Or today, because that's going to work about as well as me trying to build my own plane with duct tape in the middle of a flood. Or, am I trusting the fact that Jesus has said, I'm coming for your rescue. I have called you. And from before the first time that you ever sinned, your name was written in the Lamb's book of life. This is what it means for us to rest in Jesus. You ask the question, how do I know that I'm saved? The simple question, the answer to that question is, today, are you resting in Jesus? Is that a a true statement of you? Are you believing this gospel truth that you cannot save yourself? And that Jesus is most glorified when you come to Him believing that He is enough? Functionally, it's the same as asking the question of, how many of you are sitting today? All of you. How do you know? How do you know you're sitting today? Because I'm looking, and my rear end... Uh, now, see, Melissa messed it up. Right? She messed it up. <laughs> you can go, you can go. <laughs> How do you know? How do you know? I, I know because my rear end is sitting down on the seat. That's how I know, right? That's how I know. That's how I know I'm sitting. You can, you can, you can go now. <laughs> how do I know that I'm saved? Because my faith is resting on Jesus. That's how I know. That's how I know. Because I already know this. If He's not enough, I'm not. Right? So ultimately, we're asking two questions. Did Jesus really accomplish what the gospel says that he accomplished for me? And secondly, have I believed that what he accomplished is for me? Did Jesus do what he said he did and did what he did account for me? Is that true for me? So as Christians, we need to set reminders in our path of this truth. Because I don't know about you, it's very easy to forget. Because life happens, right? 
It gets cold outside and the car and, and snow machines don't want to start. Firewood's got to get packed in and lessons need to get graded and paperwork needs to get filled out at the clinic and travel needs to get planned for and meals need to get cooked and the house needs to get cleaned and friends need to get visited with. Life happens, right? And it's easy to forget who Jesus is and who we are in Him. And so we have to set reminders in our path. Oftentimes this happens through things like sermons or maybe Bible studies, right? Quiet times, personal reflective study in Scripture. Why is it that we need so much reminding though? Well, I think three things is what Peter is telling them here, and I think it will be an encouragement for us as we think about this for ourselves. The first we see in verse 12. And why do we need so much reminding? Because even though we know these truths, we forget them. Even though we know these truths, we forget them. In verse 12 he says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them. Even though you already know them. You've heard me say before that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less, right? Humility is being truthful about what is true about you. I love my marriage. Love it. And it is not uh, unhumble for me to say, I want for you, if you're married, I want for you my kind of marriage. Because it is incredible. I love it. That being said, when I read marriage books, which I try to at least read one every year, something on communication, something on intimacy, uh, something on just the, the biblical perspective of marriage, right? those kind of things, it's not very often that I read a marriage book looking to find something I've never heard before. I read them because I will read something that I'm like, oh yeah, I know that. I just forgot. Right? I forgot that I needed to be that kind of thoughtful. I forgot that I needed to uh, uh, do as, as Peter says in First Peter, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Right? And I forget that. I forget those kind of things. I, I forget that women don't communicate the same way that men do. Or that specifically, Shell doesn't communicate the same way that I do. And I need things in my path to remind me of those kind of practices. Remind me of those kind of principles. And if that's true of my marriage, then the reality of that is that's true of every aspect of my Christian life. It, if uh, if you've gone through any kind of education system, how many of you can say that you absolutely remember everything you've ever been taught? <laughs> no, of course not, right? That's why they have in all kind of uh, professional careers continuing education, right? And sometimes they're teaching you new information, right? These are, you know, for medical people, these are new medicines, these are new procedures, these are new policies and that kind of stuff. But oftentimes it's like, yeah, this is just the same stuff that you learned, but like 10, 15, 20 years ago, 
that if you're just honest, we just learned just enough so that we could pass the stupid test and move on to the next thing. I'm just teens, just so you know, that is a reality that we still do that, right? That that's that there there's a lot of test taking, there's a lot of life that's just like I just need to get this information just long enough to be able to pass the exam and move forward with it. But the reality of our Christian life is that there are beauties and intricacies of who God is and what God calls us to and how salvation works for us and how the Gospel changes uh, our lives that we need to be reminded of because we forget. And so we need to put things into our lives, things like attending uh, sermons or attending Bible studies, having personal quiet times, having devotionals, doing personal Bible study, because uh, even though we know these things, we forget. I hope you make a regular practice of trying to read through the Bible. Uh, I believe it should be something that every Christian strives to do as many times as they possibly can. Uh, one of the uh, one of the Christian influencers in my life uh, was my grandfather, my dad's dad, who's now with the Lord. Uh, but he made a practice of he would read through the Bible every single year, and he did that every single year that I can remember interacting with him. It was just a normal rhythm of his life. And so at that point in time, he had read through the Bible total from cover to cover, you know, twenty, thirty times. Uh, and in that uh, uh, course of study, after talking to him, especially their late in life, he said, you know, Chris, it's funny. It keeps saying new things. Right? And you go, Popo, it, it does. It's, it's the same words, right? It's the same verses. It's the same chapters. And they were the same ones that he had read, but it says something fresh because we need to be reminded. So why do we need reminding? Because even though we know them, we forget. That's the first reason. Why do we need to be reminded? Well, secondly, because even though we are established in the faith, we drift without effort. We drift without effort. It says, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present within you. I remember when I was in college uh, and they uh, were talking about marketing strategies. Marketing is an entire industry of influence, right? And of course, I mean, college now for me is uh, a little while ago. Uh, and so those things have even changed. Like uh, the concept of social media influencers did not exist when I was in college. And it's a whole marketing. I mean, literally, corporations are spending billions and billions of dollars hiring individuals to influence you in all kind of ask what kind of music to listen to, what games are interested, what kind of stocks to buy or cryptocurrencies uh, need to be hot, uh, what kind of political affluence you need to have. Everybody has a marketing strategy. Everybody has something. And if we think that we're not being influenced by that stuff, we're just lying to ourselves. The world is influencing us. The world is changing the way that we view Everything. Everything. There's, there's not an aspect of your life 
that the world is not trying to influence, that some corporation is not trying to bend to think differently, believe, accept, buy into, or purchase outright some kind of idea or some kind of product. And even though we are established in the faith, even though some of us have walked with the Lord for a very long time, without effort, you will drift. You will walk away. Peter wants to remind them of this reality, saying that even though you have been established in the truth, it's true. This gospel is true. The magnificent work of God in your life and what He, His precepts and His teaching, all of those things, they are true to you. And even though uh, you have been established in the truth which is presented to you, I want to remind you of these things. Because the world's trying to convince you that what you thought was true isn't. Actually, isn't, isn't that actually Satan's first lie? You might call it Satan's first marketing ploy. Did God really say? It's literally Him taking... You have been established in the truth. You've received it. I mean, I don't know if there's a human being that's had more direct influence from God than Adam and Eve, right? Don't eat from the tree or you'll die. And Satan says, I don't know about that. And they drifted. And they walked away. Satan tried to use the exact same tactics on Jesus. Do you remember that? Right when Jesus began his his ministry, he went into the wilderness and Satan tempted him. Uh, scriptures say that he was tempted. I mean, it gives us three specific accounts of temptation. Some scholars think that it actually was just a continuous temptation the whole time that he was there. We just have these pictures of three different times. Satan literally tempts Jesus in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is the specifically how he uh, lays that out there. But every time that he goes, he basically takes what God said was true and tries to manipulate it, influence it, push Jesus out of the way. And how does Jesus respond every single time? He rocks himself back into God's Word. And he says, this is true. This is true. We need to be reminded because even though we may be established in the faith, and may have been established in the faith for a long time, we will drift without effort. We know this is true in relationships, right? As we have friendships. How many of you have people that you used to be friends with? There wasn't anything that blew up, right? Like you didn't, they didn't stab you in the back. They didn't gossip about you, any of those kind of things. But then just all of a sudden you realize like, man, I just haven't, I don't feel close to them anymore. I just haven't talked in a while, right? It wasn't like anything bad happened. It just, without effort, it drifted. And even though we've been established in the faith without effort, we can drift as well. The third reason why do we need reminding is verse 13. Because even when we think we have all the time in the world, we need to be reminded that we don't. Why do we need to be reminded? Because even when we think we have all the time in the world, we need to be reminded that we don't. 
Peter says, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, this tent, as Peter says it, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. We need to be reminded about the truths of God, the principles of God, the precepts of God, and our role in the Christian life because it's very easy for us to forget that our life is short. For the most part, most of us don't think that our life is short, right? It's not until you have conversations like we had today of people, you know, people getting the bad news, right? The, the bit of information, the diagnosis, those kind of things where all of a sudden they realize life is now short. And then they begin to prioritize things. Then they begin to emphasize uh, the, the, uh, you know, what really matters and, and, and trying to uh, focus on those kind of things and push out the, all the fluff and, and uh, get rid of those kind of other you know, things that really don't matter. They want to focus on the things that really do matter. What if we, like Peter, intentionally brought things into our remembrance that reminded us that we will give an account for every moment that we have. Every moment that God gives us. And remembering that there comes a point in time where that is a a finite thing. The richest person in the world and the poorest person in the world can't buy another moment. And we'll have to give all of those back before the Lord. The reality of that is is incredibly scary to me because not only will we give back every moment, we'll give back what we did in every one of those moments. You know one of the scariest statements that, uh, that Scripture made about that to me? Where he says, we will give an account of every idle word spoken. Every idle word spoken I'll give an account for. I'll lay it all back before Jesus. And He'll say, with those lips, you had the ability to glorify Me and love people. And what did you use it for? What did you waste it on? Peter wants to remind us that even if we think we have all the time in the world, he knew that he didn't. And so he wanted to do everything that he could As he said in verse 15, I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to recall these things to mind. Ultimately, this is the picture of trying to leave a legacy, right? What does it look like when you leave? Leave this life, leave this job leave this stage of life? What is the legacy that you're leaving on? And how does that spur others on to remember the goodness of God? One of my Facebook memories uh, here very recently was a church picture. Took it right here. Moved this out of the way. This is actually before the flood. Uh, So I think it was in 2012 that the picture was taken. And it was packed, just monstrously packed. And as I was sitting there looking at the picture and thinking about 
those that are here today, uh, including my family of, at the time, five. Evelyn wasn't born yet. Hornfisher family was only three uh, at the time. Jerry was here. Grandma Margaret was here. And that was it. Of the 58 people that were in the picture. This picture of movement, this picture of change. And it was a reminder for me that time happens. I often have said that if, if all the people that have been a part of our church were still a part of our church, we would have well over 300 people attending in the 11, 11 years that I've, I've been here. And it was one of those where as I looked and I remembered their stories and I remember where they're at now. There was a number of individuals there in the picture that their story has not been pretty since that picture. It's been very hard. Very painful. And there's some that are in that picture that are no longer walking with the Lord. But there were others in that picture that are now in full-time vocational Christian ministry that weren't when that picture was taken. And there's other people that have now gone on to get married and have kids and are walking with the Lord in their niche world, right? It was this picture of the scattering of God. And I asked, you know, the question that I, I wrestle with as a pastor looking at that and going like, so God, what did I, what did I accomplish? What did I do? What is, what is my story in this? Could I say that uh, I would also be diligent that at any time after my departure from your life, I'm still here, I'm still pastoring the church, they're the ones left, but after they've departed, would they be able to call these things to mind? So the question is, what do you need reminding of when it comes to your Christian faith today? Do you need to be reminded of the reality that God really does love you? Not, not like just kind of loves you, but loves you so much that He substituted His own Son in your behalf. Not when you were worthy of it or had earned it, but when you were unworthy of it and you had done everything to not deserve it. Do you need to be reminded of that? Do you need to be reminded of the fact that whatever it is that, is, that you see as broken in you, Jesus sees as a part of your story that He intends for His glory and for your good? Do you need to be reminded of that incredible truth today? Do you need to be reminded today that you are completely forgiven in Jesus? That there's nothing left for you to try to... You know, Jesus took it to the 99%, you take the 1%. Do you need to be reminded that that's not true? That in Jesus Christ you are completely forgiven? Do you need to be reminded today that in the same way that God loved you when you were unlovable, He calls you to love your neighbor even when they're not lovable? What is the biblical truth that you need to be reminded of today? And what is the mechanisms that you're going to put into place 
so that you can be intentionally reminded of those things. So that those things that you know are true, you've heard it before. I'm not, I'm not coming up with something new this morning. This isn't like Chris Cobb's, wow, I've, nobody's ever heard this before. This is all the stuff we've all heard before. But we've forgotten. We're just not believing it. My prayer for us as we finish this brief moment in our story is that what Peter said would be true of us. That we would be diligent to make sure of our election and calling. To confirm the reality that we are seated in Christ. He's done all the work. Our responsibility is to say, do I believe that for me? And secondly, am I also being diligent that whatever the next step looks like, whatever the next chapter of our story is, that we'll be able to call these things to mind, to believe the truth of Scripture. When the world comes at us, when Satan comes at us and says, did God really say we'll be able to unashamedly answer Yes. Yes, He did. And I believe it. 100%. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the the truth of this this morning. I pray, God, that You would um, stir up in us a remembrance of what it is that You've accomplished in us and for us and remind us of what it is that we're supposed to be doing in light of all of that. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.